album for the apocalypse. Album for the apocalypse. One, two, fuck my shit. Welcome to episode four of the Albums for the Apocalypse podcast. Uh, I am Amos and I'm joined by my host, my co-host, Jack. Hello. So before we dive into the theme and the albums we're discussing, uh, I th- we both thought it would be necessary to mention uh, the shocking racism that is occurring throughout the world, uh, highlighted p- particularly by the recent murder of George Floyd. Um, while this is a music podcast, music has always crossed boundaries into political and social issues. It's something that we'll discuss last week with Dave and we discuss, we'll discuss this week as well. Um, with the Against Me record. Uh, so I just, we just kind of wanted to address it and make it clear that obviously what's going on is horrendous. And if you are struggling with ways to, that you think you can help, there are plenty, there are um, crowdfunders, uh, like GoFundMes, petitions to be signed. And a lot of uh, artists are running campaigns where they're selling merch, limited edition vinyl records, etc., cetera, uh, where the profits go towards helping those affected by the current events. So if there's all, if you wanted to buy a band t-shirt for a while or buy a new record or buy a CD, whatever, just go and have a quick look through your artists you like and check them out because a lot of them are doing stuff like that. Um, anything else you want to add, Jack, before we dive into it? Um, yeah, I mean, agree with the sentiments. Um, we hope any listeners who are kind of involved or processing or whatever, we hope you're all safe and well. Um, we support you. Um, you know, it's great to see, like you said, the kind of world of music is as much as it doesn't seem it is really important at times like this. Um, music is a great communicator. Um, you see the role that someone like Killer Mike has um, and kind of people like Joe, J. Cole out protesting, things like that. It's, um, you know, this is an important time and music is a good communicator to kind of spread this word. So um, I just think, you know, it's, uh, it's good. good to see that, people are standing up for what's right and we just hope everyone's safe and, and well but yeah i think time to move on and talk about music on the podcast yes yes definitely so on this episode on this week's episode we are looking at independent albums uh, so these albums not released on a major label such as warner sony or universal um i brought forward against me's tra- transgender dysphoria blues uh, which was their first album after being on a major label for a couple of albums jack which one did you bring in I went for the um the you know the small uh, independent album of uh what's the story morning glory by Oasis which is actually their last album before going on to a major label so it's the other end of that spectrum yeah and then finally our listener/fans pick for this week uh, was selected by Laura Williams who drew it out the hat uh, and that was while she sleeps you are we uh, so Next week, we're not actually doing a listener's pick. We'll explain more at the end of the podcast. Um, but keep suggestions coming in for any albums and we'll see what they, themes they fit into, etc. Yeah, and we're always taking suggestions for themes as well. So if you have any ideas of themes that you'd like us to discuss, send them our way. We'd love to hear them. Um, it's albumsforthepocalypse at gmail.com or albumsforthepocalypse on Facebook and Instagram. So to quickly clarify sort of an independent record, it's an, al- it's an album that would be released not on a major label, so it could still be released on a record label, just something that's not supported by one of the major labels, such as Warner Brothers, Sony, uh, Universal. Um, and essentially, it's pretty much the biggest difference is just funding. Uh, major labels often chuck a lot of money at records, 
Um, and when you're independent, you're often doing it off your own back or in, in the Walshy Sleeps case, uh, fans funded, uh, so crowdfunding sort of style thing. Uh, obviously, when a label is putting a lot of money towards a record, it expects return. Uh, and it's definitely something we'll talk a bit about. Uh, but when they expect return, they expect singles and they'll often ask for singles um, and set, or tell a band that they can't release that album, etc. Uh, we discussed a bit of it about it last week with Frank Ocean and how he fell out with his label and their demands essentially, and he ended up uh, obviously leaving his label and releasing his own record independently uh, in Blonde, and it's something that I think we'll talk about because Against Me and While She Sleeps come after stints on record major labels, whereas Oasis one is just before, uh, and there's definitely a conversation to be had about those and the effect it's had on the band. Um, etc and yeah uh, I think that's pretty much it independent records most bands at one point in their life have probably released an independent record Nirvana started independently on Sub Pop with their debut before they got signed and it's just quite standard for a band to start on an independent record and then move on to the major labels uh, and actually nowadays more bands are releasing it on independent records because there's not enough money in the music industry to make uh, that it makes too much of a difference whether you're releasing on a major label or not so I guess that's about it. Anything else to add on independent records, Jack, before we dive in? I don't think so. I think that basically covers it. I mean, we've got a lot to discuss. These are all, all three of these are very interesting albums from the perspective of not only their content, but their release. Um, so yeah, I think we should be in for a good discussion. Yeah, okay, sweet. Let's dive into it. So up first, we have my pick from this week, which is Against Me with Transgender Dysphoria Blues. So in terms of the theme, like I mentioned in the intro, this is the first album they had since having a spell on a major label that actually, having read the book and looked into uh, Laura Jane Grace and Against Me, it was a stint that almost pushed the band to the brink. Like They almost weren't a band after this. It was the pressures of having to release singles and perform on these stands. They're playing stadium shows, etc. were... Uh, pressures that they didn't deal with in the best way and I think some of that is discussed on this album however the big theme about this record and the reason it definitely got a lot of mainstream traction for being an independent punk record is because it's the first album since frontwoman Laura Jane Grace came out as transgender and thus transition as you could probably tell by the title uh, and then hence the through from that title you could probably guess that the overriding theme throughout this record is gender dysphoria it does deal with a lot of other social and political issues, but for the most part, it does talk about the dysphoria of Laura Jane Grace. This, I suppose I want to start with my opinions on it and my feelings towards this record. When it first came out, was uh, I listened to it, I liked it, I loved the singles, but it never kind of clicked with me. And I kind of kept going back to it and giving it a go. Same with a lot of Against Me stuff, really. Um, and I started to really like it, and then the story behind it and the um theme is always something that i acknowledged and um i'm trying to think of a good word to describe it but uh, was something that was definitely inspirational um despite not fully understanding the struggles that laura would have gone through throughout her entire life up until this album and her transitioning however i recently just read um well half read listened to the audiobook uh tranny which laura jane grace wrote essentially an autobiography about her life up until this album. Um, and it, to know how much she struggled with this dysphoria from as a kid forward. And, and then once you hear that and you hear about those stories and then you go into this record, it's parts of it are heartbreaking, but then there are also parts of it which are defiant and 
almost like a fuck you to all the problems she's had in her life to this point and to release an album of this quality as well um independently on her own terms is something that has to be admired uh i'm curious to see how you kind of felt on this one jack because it's the first time i've brought in a record of this style uh, forward i think yeah so this is like i guess our first um i would say it is almost like a quite traditional punk rock sounding album yeah. um the sound of it is very like that was the thing that stood out to me is this is basically your quite traditional quite um as you would expect a punk rock album to sound but the content is something that is completely i guess you would say surprising for the genre like i mean you think about the i mean the music industry as a whole has got a reputation of being a weirdly almost conservative um industry to some extent in certain certain genres and i would put punk and maybe rock and and definitely like rap and hip-hop definitely get those reputations um but i think this is an example and the kind of response to it and the um the reception of it kind of represents the change in that attitude and the change that maybe happened what that people didn't realize maybe the fact it was an independent release i guess could have helped because you know often big businesses have problems with the idea of controversial topics being discussed on money albums they yeah, money. um also i think i mean you actually sent me the the quote earlier like i'd actually already seen it the the rolling stone quote where yeah he the journalist says it takes big balls to come out like this or takes balls i mean that's just stupid that to me represents the exact like issue which he's trying to praise but he is basically coming across in a like very he's very ignorant to the whole situation but at the same time you almost have to kind of look over that gaff and like recognize that this is an album that represents a big shift in not only this genre but the impact it had on the mainstream you could argue it it also represents kind of a shift in perception of you know um transgender issues and transgender rights that kind of we've seen in especially in western society in recent decades um i really liked a lot of the album it was really listenable um i didn't love it i didn't think this is amazing but i liked what it stood for i liked a few fair few tracks um my research to it i actually think i probably found weirdly more interesting because just finding more out about laura jane grace finding watching some interviews with her um the process she went through and the kind of struggle she had we talked before this about how she kind of almost did everything but come out as transgender in one of their previous yeah. albums she's always been very personal with her songwriting yeah new way that was yeah, new way yeah and very open but she went up it's something that you don't quite realize when you're listening to it until you sort of fully look into it but after reading her book and hearing about she was writing these songs and like you said oceans where she essentially addresses it but no one thinks it because she was always perceived as this um, it's actually mentioned in the uh, song on this record, Drinking with the Jocks. She was always perceived to be this boyish, yeah. uh, bullish punk frontman uh, when she wasn't. Um, it was just a persona that she adopted because that's what she thought people wanted her to be. Um, and it, you know, it almost, I don't want to say killed her, but it really did 
plague her. And it's something that you do get in this record in a way, but this record is, it's not sad. It's not, um, look at me, I've gone through a lot. It's, uh, I've gone through a lot and here I am out the other side, better for it. You can go through a lot, come out the other side and be better for it too. Yeah. Which I think is huge. Um, before we dive properly into the songs, like that idea and that theme, that attitude in this record, I think is something that having spoken to or seen people post about it, this record came out in 2014 and it's still considered to be a, I don't, I don't know if seven was the right word, but it's a record that a lot of LGBT um people within the punk scene often look to as a record that helped them be comfortable with themselves because it's something that me and you would never truly understand but to be able to have someone like this um come out and be part of the mainstream but be in your world of punk and sh show you that you can do it and be comfortable is um yeah i is mean huge. this is the second week running we've had an album that kind of I guess goes against the vein of what you'd expect from the genre. Like last week we had Dave, a rapper, a UK rapper coming out and being honest about mental health issues. And this is kind of similar in that same way that it, it, it almost makes what would been, what would have been considered before an undiscussable topic. Suddenly that's something that's a lot more discussable. It, it becomes a lot more um, acceptable to talk about which yeah, i mean absolutely. it should have been unacceptable before but records like this and the impact they have again like you say we can't really understand ourselves but you can see just by if you go and google now um and have a look if you're listening and you're curious there are so many articles written about the impact this has had from people who are transgender or are part of the lgbtq plus community um so yeah i mean it's it's certainly got so much weight in that respect maybe what about musically let's let's talk a bit more about the music side so i think this i mean it is essentially a straightforward punk record it's not too extravagant it doesn't push too many boundaries in that sense where it's real highlight is i think is in the songwriting ability i mean it's something we'll probably talk about with oasis as well but it's where she has this way of crafting both the way she uses her melody but the lyrics specifically she's quite a interesting lyricist in that she's quite blunt a lot of the time but then every now and then would go into these metaphorical styles um i mean the fact that i mean i've got a couple of lyrics written down that the ones that when i listen to this always stand out um particularly with the theme so the title track the opening track which i'm sending this for in blues um there's a lyric that goes you want them to, you want them to see you like they see every other girl they just see a faggot and it's to be as blunt and bold as that but have every right to be like that. And to, it's something that didn't, it was clicked with me at first and you acknowledge the songwriting ability, but those lyrics really click with you once you, once I read her book and once I truly understood what she'd been through. Um, and actually once I'd finished her book and when back, went back to listen to this album for the first time since then, uh, this album actually pretty much brought me to tears because it was heartbreaking having to know what she's gone through. However, listening to it now and knowing who she is as a person from I follow on Instagram, she's probably one of my musical heroes in terms of what she's been through and how she holds herself as well. It's not like a look at me, I've been through a lot, feel sorry for me. It's a, you know, I've done it, so can you sort of thing. And it was very, I listen to it now as an album of defiance and stuff. So it's like, 
that thing is it sounds bad and it's but it's said in a way that is such a fuck you to the people that said that um then you've got true trans soul rebel which is the was the lead single on this um and there's a bridge in it so not a part of the verse or chorus like the chorus has a very um inclusive or not inclusive but a very positive message which is the god bless your trans sexual heart which as a lyric i think is something that it's, i never i've never seen against me live but to see against me on touring this album i can't imagine to have a whole crowd singing that chorus back to them but there's a bridge on that song which i think is one of the most heartbreaking lyrics i've heard where it's you should have been a mother you should have been a wife you should have been gone from here years ago you should be living a different life like to again we can't really it's hard for us to put ourselves in her shoes but to know that she was never a man she was just pretending to be she always she was always a woman but she never got the chance to feel mm. comfortable in it and that line where it feels like she's lost part of her life to this dysphoria is heartbreaking um but again there's so much more than that it's not this record about sadness it's and that song in itself encapsulates both halves of the record almost yeah, it shows both uh, like you say the sad side but also with its big chorus it celebrates the um the kind of positivity yeah. that she does feel now yeah, having it's, it's bouncy it's dancey it's an uplifting song yeah yeah um i think i mean then she she doesn't just talk about this just for a tools like so she talks about the death of one of her close friends on dead friend um which again is isn't a sad song as such it's quite a uplifting song it's quite a sort of uh, fuck you song there was fuck my life's also dedicated a bit to that friend that died again it's a song that sounds like you think by the thing about fuck my life it's going to be a bit sad but it's more of a um done in a sort of roll your eyes kind of way with fuck my life sort of thing um there's a really cool song on this which is kind of caught my eye when i first read through the track listing which is um osama bin laden as the crucified christ yeah. it's it's a bit different to everything else on the record it's a bit faster paced it's a bit more upbeat like in your face punky um and it's probably the most political she gets on this in the sense that it's it is essentially about how we perceive public figures is essentially what it's about it's not not just Osama bin laden but it's about how people will see people like that as a messiah and others see him as incar evil incarnate and it's yeah. about how we trust that and how we perceive that um how did you deal with the lyrics on this jack because Obviously, I've spoken about how it impacted me after reading her book, but someone who's perhaps yeah. gone in this a bit blind is kind of curious. So, I would say I had two different experiences. So, obviously, I haven't read the book. Um, I am just would not have been able to smash it out in a week. No, not at all. It took me a while because it's, it's a heavy book to read. Yeah. It's quite a heavy book to... Yeah, I'm curious to read it now, for sure. Um, so, I listened once and very much got the theme of the record, obviously, straight away. But then I went away and did a load of research and then I listened again. And once you kind of know, like you say, know the context, I and mean, I'm sure from the sounds of it, obviously reading the book gives you the full context. So when you go back and what, after I've done my research and I listened again, um, I went back in and you just feel that every lyric has kind of that bit more weight. You kind of understand it a bit more. And it definitely hit home a lot more, I think. I kind of, I understood the significance more than just listening to, it wasn't just listening to a record about someone who was suffering from transgender dysphoria. It was listening to a record by this actual person that I understood more and the troubles they'd felt 
and I was hearing that represented now in the songs. So I would definitely recommend if you're going, if you're like interested in listening to this album or you have already, and maybe you're coming to the podcast to kind of understand more or you want to kind of maybe get a better perspective on the record, definitely go onto YouTube or that's what I did first of all, just search Laura Jane Grace. There's so many interviews. She actually did a little documentary series, which is, I think it's all available there. Um, and it's really interesting. And it also, it's something that, again, like I, as a white middle-class guy from just outside London, basically just don't encounter much. We don't have many people that go through transi uh, transitions or suffer from transgender dysphoria in our social circles, in our kind of environment. It's just not very common. And so that was definitely something, it was like something I feel like I'd learned a lot more about this issue from just not only listening to this album, but also the research that went with it. So from that perspective, it was definitely um, a rewarding experience, I think. And yeah, very I think that's why what makes this record so important is that for people who don't you know, it's, it's not a bad thing to not know about something that you've never experienced, but it's definitely something to be aware of. And I think this record completely raise awareness for it so this is their highest charting record at number 23 so coming off a major label with all that push they still managed to chart higher they got like said like we said uh, laura jane grace got a lot of mainstream publicity from um coming out purely because not many people have done in the music scene in this way uh, some of those people would maybe have come out transitioned and then gone into music but to do it mid-career after having a successful career before this and then to also release an album so focused around it is testament to that and honestly it's something that if you want to get an artistic idea of what it's like to suffer i think this is a really good yeah um from what i can understand from, from what i understand from speaking to lgbt people or reading articles it has been a really good way of encapsulating what they've gone through and also as a beacon of hope almost i think yeah it made me confront something i know I mean, when I was a teenager, I was definitely that kind of idiot that would make all the, you know, Caitlyn Jenner jokes and stuff like that. Because it's just something that I think, even in the media, we don't truly... It's, like, ig it's ignorance, I think, a lot yeah, of the time. Yeah, we don't truly get a proper perspective of it. It's just kind of seen as this weird thing. But, I mean, I think, thankfully, I think, A, that's changing. Um, shows like, uh, what was it? I think it was called Super 8 on Netflix that's like a good example though that thing got cancelled which isn't exactly oh um sensate thing yeah sensate, that's it yeah. um but yeah i mean but it is changing but it's yeah it i feel like i definitely learned a lot from this record and um yeah i recommend not only just listening to the record but doing some research around it learning more about her lord jace is worthwhile doing um and yeah, I think I definitely will be checking out the book at some point yeah, soon. 100%. Um, no, if you, we're not paid to promote the book. No, not at all. Uh, the book's really good read. It's, the audio book's also available and it's her actually reading it. So you actually get a real sense of it by listening to the audio book, which is what I did because I, I don't like reading in the sun. So I just thought I'd buy the audio book. Before we close up on this, I want to make one quick mention of a song on here. Um, we'll, put, we'll definitely talk about it at the end, but I wanted to do it as part of this review. Um, the closing song, Black Me Out, is the definition of a punk rock anthem. It's in my top 10 songs ever, potentially top five. I would go as far to say it's prob the, probably the best punk rock anthem ever written. I think it's better than Everlong by Foo Fighters, uh, Time My Life by Green Day. I think it's truly 
outstanding. Like it's this for me is a ten out of ten album, and that song is comfortably the best song on this record, wow. uh, and comfortably the best song against me I've ever written. So that kind of puts it into perspective how good I think this song is. Like this song is like I've got everyone always has these dreams of songs they want to see live. Black Me Out's probably at the top right now for me. Um, because uh, I've right. never seen against me, and it's yeah, truly. Um, if you, I mean, it's going to be added to the playlist, but uh, <laughs> spoiler. But uh, if <laughs> if you just want to check out one song, it's a bit off. It's a bit different to what's usually on the record. But if you want to, if you do like the likes of Green Day and Foo Fighters, just check out that song, and it will blow your fucking mind. That's pretty much it. That's all I can say about it without spewing my guts. Um, okay. Anything else you want to add, Jack? Before we move into the big hitter of the week, uh, I think. I think we've covered it pretty well. Um, yeah, let's go on to number two, I reckon. Okay, so album number two was selected by myself. Um, I went for an album called What's the Story, Morning Glory by a little-known brand from Manchester called Oasis. Um, so... To be honest, this doesn't need much of an introduction. I'm pretty sure everyone who is listening to this right now will have heard at least most of this album, if not all of it, many times. Um, so I thought I would start by providing a bit of a background about the independent release. So a lot of people may not be aware this was independent. I remember there being some surprise. A few of my mates messaged me after we <clears throat> announced that this was being picked um, with some surprise that this was independent. So essentially, back in the early 90s, uh, Oasis tagged along to support a band called Sister Lover at a gig in Glasgow. And when I say support, I mean they didn't have a spot on the bill. They literally just rocked up and wanted to play. Um, at the gig was the owner and run, I guess the guy ran, uh, a little independent label called creation records they've had a few kind of big ish bands nothing too big primal um, scream, i think yeah primal screen but nothing like major at the point at that point um they alan mcgee was the guy who set up scotsman and he was at the gig to see a friend of his who played in sister lover um oasis basically blagged themselves onto the bill combined with Alan McGee pointing out to the owners of the venue that it was easier to let them play than having a load of angry Manx running about the place, <laughs> but said in a very thick Scottish accent. Um, and he was probably right. And so they played four songs and that was enough for him to be convinced to sign them. Now, complete disclosure, at this point, Creation was partially invested from Sony, um, but not to the point where they had any managerial control or anything. Um, it was still very much under McGee's control. Um, sadly, he went a little bit wild in the noughties and late nineties, so the label faded away. Um, yeah, disappeared. Yeah, yeah. He he enjoyed the life of a rock star without being the actual rock star. Let's put it that way. Um, anyway, so the album itself was released in '95. Um, this is the first album we've discussed released before either Amos or I were born. Um, it was recorded in Wales, in Monmouth, at a very famous studio. Uh, I've forgotten its name now, but it's where Queen have recorded. This was a big sign for Oasis that they had made it up a notch. Yeah, in there, the there was, despite it being an independent record, there was still funding on the back of this record. Yeah, 
Um, yeah, that, that, that comes off of the debut as well. Yeah, definitely. Maybe was massively successful, as I'm sure most people know. Um, and so off the back of that, they were able to, um, I guess, provide and be provided with the um, fantastic studio in Wales. Uh, it was produced by Noel and Noel Gallagher that is, and Owen Morris, who, funny story, Owen Morris was basically just a techie and he did their gigs. And then they were recording, definitely maybe, and they just thought the sound wasn't right. It just didn't sound like it was live. So they got the guy in that does the tech, at the live gigs, to try and produce it, and he just smashed it. Yeah, just and that's how the engineering mainly and stuff like that. Yeah, and that's how he ended up basically him and Noel producing it. Um, so to put some big statements out, this is probably one of the greatest British albums of all time. It's arguably, or pretty much undoubtedly, the pinnacle of Britpop. So. Rip-hop is something I think we'll talk about in depth in a moment, but this was kind of the culmination of um, maybe a decade or more of kind of lots of huge, big British rock bands. Um, I think this ba uh, this album exists weirdly in two different ways. So you have kind of the early release and pre-release where its big singles were, uh, um, some might say, uh, roll with it and morning glory which now if you reflect back on seem kind of dwarfed in comparison to obviously wonderwall and don't look back in anger um and even she's electric i mean the, the list of big songs it's on this album is endless bangers per minute is yeah. my biggest thing for this yeah so first release it got really mixed reviews it got three star from q magazine it got um kind of touted as being all right, but not as good as definitely maybe. Um, but the band themselves loved it. Like Liam said, he thought this was like a massive step up. They felt like they'd really found not just their sound, but they'd found the kind of energy. And um, I think he described it as the oomph, which is the kind of thing he would say behind it. Um, and the success of it is kind of what has led to a change in the perspective. So, Q actually went back and retrospectively changed their um, review of it, and it now got five stars, um, unsurprisingly. In 2010, at the Brit Awards, it was voted for by, um, by fans, well, just music listeners in general, as the greatest British album since the start of the Brit Awards. Um, yeah. Technically, I guess, the greatest British album winner. Um, but yeah, so that's pretty high acclaim. Uh, it's the best-selling album of the 90s. It went 15 times platinum. Um, I mean, there's the not really much third biggest set, the third biggest selling UK studio album of all time. Yeah, I mean, this is without a doubt the biggest album we've covered on this podcast so far. By a mile. Yeah. By and a on, on the week we do independent records as well, which I think is something that definitely needs to be acknowledged because yeah. I think a lot of bands after an album like definitely maybe would have gone and I'm sure Oasis would have had an offer to be onto a major label I'm sure yeah. they would have offered the success of definitely maybe but they stuck with the independent they obviously had the funding like we mentioned they had, had a great had... relationship with Alan McGee yeah, well, exactly. part of it like he there's this amazing story where <laughs> they got kicked off a boat in going to Amsterdam the this is yeah. in the documentary Supersonic so if you want to find out more definitely give that a watch on Netflix now um, they got kicked off a boat in, on the way to Amsterdam and uh, they were meant to be supporting the Verve and they couldn't. 
So they went all the way back and they Noel just phoned up Alan McGee and said, look, Alan, we've been kicked off a boat. We've, we've been arrested. We can't go and play to support the Verve. And he just said, brilliant. <laughs> he was just happy with it. He was like, that's rock and roll. And I think that relationship is probably a big factor, which is why they definitely stayed on for the second album. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess something we should probably talk about a little bit is Britpop. I know you went away and listened to some other Britpop albums and Britpop. Um, yeah, obviously there was, around this album, there was the Oasis Blur argument. I mean, it's, there still is very yeah. much. If you say to someone, do you like Oasis? A lot of the time they might say, I prefer Blur, etc. I think, you know, I'm never one to sort of side with stuff like this when a band's good, a band's good at the end of the day. But I feel like yeah. that, that rivalry that was all media driven um, was definitely um, something that I think helped this this record commercially anyway. Mm. Um, obviously they had all this hype about them and they were always it was always going to sell well, especially when it's this quality as well. It's this yeah. extremely high level. But I still certainly feel like, I think that in a way from looking into the Gallagher brothers and actually as general as characters, I feel like that sort of competition would have driven them even further to write. Yeah. And really... Yeah, they are, they're the kind of people that it is... They are almost like a, a fuck you attitude. You know, yeah. it's like, if you think you're better than us, then fuck you. We're going to go and make this absolute monster of an album and blow you out the water. And that, to be honest, that is, I mean, that is basically what they did. Pretty like, much. Don't be wrong. Blur have some unbelievable music. But, and also, to be fair, it's important in Britpop. It's more than just Oasis and Blur. You have obviously the Verve, um, Suede. The amazing Stone Roses, um, the Charlatans, both both of those Mancunians, Supergrass, um, who all kind of formed this era where there was just huge, huge rock bands coming out of the UK, like at the end of the 80s, early 90s. Um, and you compare that to now, obviously, we're in a very different time, but like, it feels like looking back on it, obviously, we weren't alive, but looking back on it, that must have been just such an incredible time to kind of witness well, yeah, so, it was akin yeah. to it's, it's essentially this is oasis Britpop explosion was very much akin to the grunge explosion from seattle in america mm. in terms of how not suddenly i think this was a bit more progressed um over time but there was still this explosion of extreme rise of bands that you wouldn't expect to have this sort of level of popularity yeah and um, i think generation defining etc you want to put a point on a culmination, where did it all lead up to? I think you would be hard pressed to find an event more seminal and important than Nebworth in 96. Um, so Nebworth is basically a big country estate where they held a festival and Oasis headlined and did two nights. Um, my dad actually went. So my dad at the time was working with Radio One. So he uh, went and I asked him a little bit about it in prepping for this. And he said that it was just insane. Like the size of the crowd, the anticipation. It was like, he's worked a lot of, a lot of events and a lot of music. And he, he said that is one of the biggest he's seen just in terms of the, like the atmosphere there before Oasis arrived. Obviously there's all these other bands on the bill, lots of huge bands and artists played, but he said it was like, everyone was just kind of waiting for Oasis. Like that was the, what everyone was there for um and 4.4 percent of the uk applied for tickets which is insane when you think about it um for a million people each night could have done seven nights by all yeah. the and stuff, which is yeah and like we're talking about this this is kind of 
people talk about how big Ed Sheeran's run was. There's some stat like he played to a third of Australians, which is crazy. But this was back in 95 when you had to drive everywhere and, you know, it wasn't as easy to just kind of, I don't know, buy a ticket online, all that kind of stuff. Not just that, this was released on Independence that wouldn't have had as much push. Yeah like publicity wise it would have i mean as you've mentioned it had it was clearly funded well so it clearly was but like knowing the level of push that someone like ed sheeran's got and also the songs aren't going to be the sort of songs that are going to be getting played all over the place and stuff that and being the rock stars they are the polarizing people yes that alone is that was a big factor i think in the the success that they felt despite being on an independent label was because of the character of the brothers so them being so kind of outspoken and um, I guess, that, I mean, they dominated the tabloids in the late 90s. Yeah. Because of that, that definitely helped the band in terms of its um, publicity. I mean, arguably you could say it helped, hindered it at times as well, but yeah. I suppose, do you want to, I suppose we should probably start talking about the songs and stuff. And this, I mean, it's, it's quite, I think it's quite a hard one to analyse as such because it is just banger after banger it's kind of hard to like fully like pick apart these songs i think the thing i noticed most about this record going back and listening to it on repeat as such because i don't tend to listen to oasis that much anyway and if i were it wouldn't be in a manner where i'd binge them in this sense that i did this week mm-hmm. that no this is 100 percent no gallagher's best work he's his ability not only to write songs but his guitar work in it it's not obviously he's shredding and playing huge leads but it's his way to write these little niche bits in between songs these bridges etc and i think just i mean it's hard to pick an an individual song to highlight it but it's just like it just flows so well and i think yeah i mean it just shows off how good a songwriter he was yeah i think you can say was rather than in in the um in their careers after oasis you can see the skills that each brother was bringing to the table in the way in which their careers have gone afterwards like noel gallagher's and this high flying birds have very like I mean I like a lot of their stuff, but they sometimes you could argue they lack the vocal punch that Liam brings. Meanwhile, Liam's albums again I like a lot of them, but some of it is just not great. It's not. Um, I mean, BDI were really pretty bad. His his recent album was a lot better. Um, what's it called? Um, no idea. I can't help you on that yeah, one. I forgot what it's called, but um, I think it's as you were. Would make sense. Yeah, I think it's as you were. But yeah. Um, anyway, so I think that kind of represents, in a way, what both of them were bringing to the table, and it is it is a shame that they split up. But I mean, it's also a shame that they went and signed for a commercial record label because if you look at their albums after this. A, I'd be amazed if anyone listening to this can name any of the albums because they don't really stick in the memory. They have some really good songs on them, don't get me wrong, but again, they have big singles because I can imagine the conversation was big record label, says to Noel... Right when, you're, when you're a talented songwriter like Noel, you can just you, yeah. can, you can shit out a half-decent single just like yeah. that. Almost. You, you don't have to. The Idol is from yeah. their... I think it's from their last album, but I mean, the rest of that album is just not great. Like, It's a shame. It is a shame. And I feel like this album really represents what an, the kind, almost the biggest an independent can be to some extent. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it certainly is in terms of how it 
the cultural shift it had, I think, and its yeah. impact in that sense. Obviously, it's not the biggest selling independent record of all time, which is an album I almost picked. Um, but in the sense of it being a very British album, it's, I mean, people often don't realize this, but very British albums often struggle to break outside the UK. Someone like, take a modern band, for example, Biffy Clara, very Scottish. They're playing 2,000 cap venues when they tour America and stuff like that, whereas over here they're headlining festivals. And it's, that's purely because it just sometimes doesn't click. So to have an album like this that is still British through and through to be able to click to that extent um, yeah. and to have that sort of commercial success worldwide, is, like you said, on an independent record as well, is anyone who's hugely listening, impressive. Anyone who's listening to this has probably been in some random corner of the world and had Oasis wonderfully yeah, sung by the whole room. I mean, it's can, inexplicable. It, the we, cultural impact of this album is insane. Can we point out the fact that they put Wonderwall into Don't Look Back in Anger? I know, yeah. I as know. a one-two punch. Like, that's just stupid. Like, I think those two songs are very overplayed, so it's quite easy to forget how good they are. But imagine, like, that album being released. Yeah. I mean, one, you, four, four, third song is Wonderwall, fourth song is Don't Look Back in Anger. Before that, you've got Roll With It. So, like, you've got this thing, and then just suddenly it just hits with two monstrous ballads two of the probably the two of the best brick rock ballads ever and they're not even the two best ballads on the album <laughs> they give you breaks they give you breaks with the swamp songs yeah the little, little interludes and stuff but it's it's i want to say it's slower pace because it's not it's, it's really it's, it's really hard to dissect this record because everyone's heard it and it's like yeah. all you're Pretty saying is this, yeah all you're saying is just oh this song's good this song's good and it's yeah. literally what it is um ironically that was one of the criticisms was at the time when it came out, it was non-stop anthems. But I mean, who cares? It's fucking class. Yeah. Like, hundred percent. We talked about this bit before, didn't we? And it's like this idea of like ACDC write the same song on every album twelve times, and that's kind of what Oasis have done here. There's a bit of pacing changes, which are paced really well. But there's, there's definitely a songwriting style which they've followed. But it works. It's still every song's ten out of ten. There's nothing wrong with it. Like you can't bemoan that and critique, critique that. Also, I think the thing that sticks out to me as much as when you listen back to the music and how amazing it is these are also if you just watch the doc um which i really recommend these are just lads that loved playing live gigs they just loved playing music to a crowd they loved it they, they just wanted to be music they just all they wanted that's to be they didn't give a the album that's yeah. what the album is that's why it's anthems because they just want to play get play songs that people wanted to hear and we're going to oh, sing along with and like you said they got their um sound guy tech to come and do the help on the production which you can definitely tell it's it it definitely sounds like it's been made to be played live like that's not a criticism or anything that's her you listen to that and you can imagine these songs live without even having to try hard yeah. and that's why when it's 2am at open mic night down the swan you're singing don't look back in anger yeah 100%. i mean and that is one of my favorite things in in life because i don't know there's just something about the the i guess the um I don't know, without, without sounding corny, it's hard to kind of put in words, but it is just the, the cultural impact of this album and being in a room full of absolute strangers and everyone singing every single word to either of Wonderwall, which I find is more common outside of the UK, yeah. and Don't Look Back in Anger, which is, seems more common in the UK. But it is absurd. Like, you just, there aren't many songs that can do that. There are not, not I think Sweet Caroline maybe is one, but you've got two of them on one album. Back to back. Back to back. It's absurd. I, I do want to say that, like, my, my, it's not really a criticism, but a bone I have to pick with Wonderwall and Don't Look Back in Anger is that they're so well known that people always forget how good Cast No Shadow is. Oh, yeah. 
I, I, pers I personally, this, again, this might be because of the overplayed nature of Wonderwall, but I prefer Cast No Shadow to Wonderwall and Don't Look Back. I think as, as an actual overall song, the way he writes it, and the lyricism on that, on that song is a bit different to usual. Like It's quite yeah. poignant and um, melancholy almost. Yeah, She's Electric again, also huge. Not as um, popular in that respect. Uh, hey Now, Forgotten About. Thing is, uh, you listen to this album, you may only know Wonderwall and Don't Look Back as song names, but you will have heard every single one of these songs at least once, 100%. I, I almost guarantee it. If you haven't, then you've probably been living under a rock. I mean, like I say, the singles were Morning Glory, Roll With It, and Some Might Say. Yeah. Some Might Say was their first number one, which is insane when you think, look back now and you think, like where they rank in terms of the seminence I of this album. I do have to say, what some might say, is that the there's a the melody and the way Noel's written that song is a bit different to their actual a lot of the things. Like he's got this bit where it suddenly picks up pace in the melody, mm. and like the hook, um, in some might say, which is quite different to a lot of the album, which I think's uh, quite interesting. It's released, like I said, as a as a single as well, because it is when you listen to the album as, as you, you were saying as a whole, it doesn't sound like a single. It sounds like a without not saying it's bad, but the way it fits in with everything. And obviously Morning, um, Wonderwall and Don't Look Back being the two biggest songs of this record. Yeah. I mean, and again, um, I guess like, to finish the album, you have Champagne Supernova, which deserves a bit of airtime. That is a, almost a slower ballad. It's kind of, it, it is the, almost an outlier on the album in the way in which it sounds a little bit more into like the psychedelic style rock. Yeah. It's a little bit more... Um, guitar driven, I think is quite a good way yeah. to describe it. I mean, um, they got Paul Weller into play guitar on that and the trade off yeah. between Noel and Paul Weller guitar wise on that yeah. is something that is so cool and so cool to listen yeah. to the way it kind of flows back and forth and swings and it just adds an extra layer and dimension to it, which does almost make me wonder what would happen if they had a someone like Paul Weller as a second guitarist in to have that trade-off throughout a lot more, which I think they probably experimented with a bit when they went to the major record label. Also, this, I must say, this is an unbelievable driving album. I know you don't drive, Amos, but as... This, Call me I, out on the podcast. Yeah, sorry, man. <laughs> um, but I don't... I haven't been able to drive for ages, obviously, because where are you going to drive? Yeah. But I had to drive maybe last week at some point, and I stuck this on, and it's just so good, just for like... Like Champagne Supernova, as you're just kind of cruising around, amazing. Um, another mental fact about this album: it was built, uh, it was recorded in like basically two weeks. They recorded a song a day for the first five days, um, and then after that, they kind of did bits and pieces and played with it and recorded a bit longer. But it was you, but you, can, cut, you, you can get that when you listen to it because it does sound like they have just haven't overthought anything they've just literally just sat down and just shut yeah. out bangers that's pretty much it let's yeah owen morris the um producer we referred to earlier he said that noel would play it on the guitar liam would hear it go in record the vocals come out noel would listen again and go yeah that sounds all right and they would be that'd be it because Stuff. like liam could just hear it and that was it you only need to hear it once you knew exactly how he wants to sing it it's insane honestly insane so I, I don't have too much to add without just saying how good and how ridiculous. Yeah, this album I mean, is. I think sure to summarize, this is one of the coolest albums, one of the most culturally relevant albums in British history. One of the most British. copied albums, I think, is quite a notable thing to say in terms of yeah. the sound, the yeah, anthem, yeah. The, the indie anthem that yeah. so many bands try and copy. Even nowadays, new indie bands always try and copy it. That's yeah. all they, they all want to write. Oh, well, this is like the standard. They're the standard. Yeah, 
Um, and it's made by one of the coolest bands of all time. Two of the coolest people in British music history, I would say. Liam and Noel. They just are. You can't. They, they they're, are, they're, they're rock stars. They're, 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 as people, they're absolute arseholes. But yeah, don't get as, wrong. as musicians terrible. and performers um, and artists, I think they're, they're exactly what you want. Yeah, exactly. In, yeah. in the sense that they're, they're polarizing and they're, they're yeah, they're, um, they've yeah, got something, about, they've got something, something about them. They're just, that, yeah. they're on a different level to everyone else. It's probably quite a good way of putting it. If we discussed this kind of briefly the other day, if possibly when Oasis do come back, it will probably be one of the biggest gigs of all time. It'll be, it'll be akin to if Led Zeppelin reunited. Yeah. Um, so we can just hope that happens because sadly, in our lifetime, we're unable to witness them live. Well, I think they probably would have just about crossed over when we were maybe 10. Yeah, it would have been a bit, a bit yeah. of a stretch. Yeah. But yeah. So I think that is everything on what's the story, Morning Glory. Yeah. We could do, probably do a whole podcast on this if we really wanted to. So yeah. Recommend go and watch uh, Supersonic on Netflix yeah. if you want to learn a lot more. That will basically cover this a lot better than we have. But um, it's, it's, a, it's, essential, it's essential listening. That's the best way yeah. to describe it. Um, yeah. So yeah, that is what's the story morning glory. I think it's time we talk about album number three. Okay, and our final album this week, our listeners' pick is "While She Sleeps." U R E, which was um, suggested to us by Laura Williams. It's "While She Sleeps" third record from the Yorkshire Metalers, um, and their first one off of a major label. So they released their. Um, so they released. I'll give a bit of backstory actually to "While She Sleeps," because I. Well, I credit Walsh Sleeps to being one of the bands that got me into hardcore and stuff like that. So like the Vane album I pulled last week, that sort of album wouldn't have been on my radar at all if it wasn't for a band like Walsh Sleeps. So they originally released an EP called The North Stands for Nothing, which I think was released as a free thing attached to um, a magazine and stuff like that. And it got a lot of traction. They obviously then got signed to a major label, released their debut, and then released their sophomore record, Brainwashed, which um, I think is a modern British metal classic. Uh, and then we come on to URWE, so they kind of fallen out with their label. They just kind of jumped off it, and they thought they'd go full independent release, so not actually released on a label. It was all fan-funded, crowd-funded. Um, I think this one's quite a unique album to talk about in the sense of their change in sound on, from Brainwashed to URWE. This is, if you were to listen to Brainwashed, you would think that one would probably be more the, the independent record, and this one would be the one on the major label, purely because they've clearly on this record try to write an uh, album full of singles mm. um i know last week we kind of spoke about how there wasn't much melody too much in that vein record so i'm kind of intrigued how you uh, took this one on jack because it although it is a heavier record with the shouting vocals and the heavy vocals it does every song has melody in it every chorus is melodic more or less so i'm kind of curious to see how you vibe with this one compared to the vein record and just in general so I had a mixed experience with this. Um, I enjoyed the fact that I think it was a lot more listenable than Bane. Um, obviously, like we say, a lot more uh, melody. The like strong riffs helped a lot. The like the dual vocals that like mix up in vocals definitely helped. Yeah, there's the vocal trade-offs brilliant. Um, but part of me just didn't love it. Like I, I liked some songs. There were a couple of songs I would say on there that I liked. But to me, it just kind of 
I don't know. I just didn't, I didn't really relate to it. Of all the albums we listened to this week, this is the one that I felt a bit more of a, I don't want to say a slog, but a bit more of an effort to listen to. I didn't feel as, it's 51 minutes long. I didn't feel as kind of committed to it. There were definitely songs on there I liked. I worked out to it a few times and it was great for that. Um, like Arizona was last week in that respect. Like it's really good for kind of that aspect, but I just didn't, love it i just didn't really i didn't feel like it was i understood a lot of the targeting of it and the um there is a lot of political content kind of hidden in there well something not really that hidden but yeah um on some of the tracks but i just didn't find it so i don't know i just didn't find it so enjoyable i didn't i found a lot of the there's less to dissect in this record than you perhaps found with the vein record which was so despite being chaotic, there was a lot more going on, essentially. It was a bit more challenging, I think, is quite a good way. Yeah, this felt to me like the kind of thing that, I mean, and again, this is just my music taste. Like, I would, back in the day, if I'd have heard, when I listened to a bit of, like, Bring Me Horizon stuff, I didn't mind it. I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. I just didn't really kind of, and to me, this, I know it's probably very different to someone who's as, like, experienced a listener as you, but to me, that kind of just fell in that same category of kind of, okay, well, it's kind of, it's just a more accessible metal with kind of, you know, some riffs and some melodies. And there were moments that I did like and moments that I think, you know, there was definitely songs on there that I would, I would listen to again, but I just didn't, as a whole piece of music, as a whole kind of album. Just didn't quite vibe with it as much. Yeah, didn't really love it. I suppose I'm going to just, I mean, I'm going to go into this a bit more now. So I, in my past life as a, music journalist i um reviewed this record so i got it early and i had to listen to it and put it out so i put up my opinions you can check that out if you go online and just search all corner while she sleeps but if you read that review i'm pretty positive about it and i do really like this record um there's so much about this that i like um i like i said i love brainwash i think that's as close to perfection as while she sleeps have come in terms of releasing a record um this one takes a lot of what I like about Brainwash. It's got the riffs on this are ridiculous, like um, Sean Long, I think his name is, so the lead guitarist, he shits out riffs. All three of the records, he just, up to this point, it was just riff central. Like, they can, he does like three or four riffs in a song and it's just outrageous. Um, the drumming on this is sensational again. The way it keeps pace, it keeps it pounding and heavy. And like you said, Jack, the vocal trade-off is something that they really pushed and they, I don't want to say experimental, but something they really pushed to the forefront on this record compared to Brainwashed which is brilliant, but there's just something lacking that in this record when I listen to it back, like some songs on this are brilliant um, and I would want while she seems to play them every time they play live and stuff like that and every time I see them, but there's just a little bit lacking. I think it's the songwriting on this is a bit tame and straightforward in parts. It doesn't quite, like, like we said a bit with Oasis and how they've essentially written an anthem for every song. While she needs to kind of try to do this in terms of write a metalcore anthem for every song. Only problem is, They've only really hit the nail on the head, I'd say, on about six songs of this, about half the record. Uh, a lot of it is just, I don't, I don't know if fill is the right word, because it's not, but is just good songs, or just, re, you know, there's not great songs on here. Mm. And when you compare it to Brainwashed, it does ha- just lack something. It just lacks that little bite. And I think that's perhaps why you're a bit more... Um, yeah, uh, neutral on it, Jack. I think compared and to have this follow vein from last week, which are two very different records. Yeah. But when when you're introducing someone like yourself, Jack, to heavier music, and I give you something like Vein, which, like I said, isn't very accessible, but is 
um, definitely an interesting record. I feel like this doesn't quite have that because it is a bit more straightforward in how it's set up strong uh, song-wise. Um, yeah, I mean, like, like we were saying earlier, and this kind of relates to um, the Against Me record, part of the fun and the interesting side of doing this podcast is the research that goes with it. And I enjoyed learning a lot more about Vane because I literally knew nothing. And it was just a completely like alien experience for me. And as much as that was more difficult for me to listen to, the side of it that was finding out kind of the background and the, I guess, concepts that go into that was a bit more interesting. And for this, it just kind of felt, it felt almost, I don't know, I don't, um, it just felt more kind of, I don't, I don't want to say pop metal, because I know that's probably not a thing, but like, it just felt like more mainstream. Yeah, they, they've definitely gone for that vibe, which for, like we said, for an independent record coming off of a major label's success, it's quite surprising. Yeah, and I just don't, that's just not my taste in music. You know, I'd be lying if I sat here and said, I love this record or I liked it just because, you know, it was a fan nominated and I obviously we do we appreciate the the suggestions but I just didn't I just didn't enjoy it much you know this is just not my taste in music I'm sure there'll be points where I'll bring in a I don't know, maybe a rap album or something that you don't like um further down but like I just didn't I just didn't really like it much I just found it was a few of the songs sounded really similar yeah which just one thing like I, I think it does because like I said it's quite long it does feel a bit more of a slog like I like I've, I've made it quite clear that my favorite Washington's record is brainwashed and I think when I listen to this for the most part it just makes you want to go and listen to brainwashed um but then when you listen to it critically it is a really good record I think the back end of this is probably where it highlights best I think the first first half of this for the most part apart from maybe you are we um is quite along those lines of samey where it does get a bit of a slog sometimes to listen to it if you're not in the mood um it's like it's not at this level where you can just pop it on any time because it's that good However, from like Silence Speaks onwards, I think Hurricane, if you're looking at that more melodic side of things, is brilliant. I think that's written really well. And then they've got that slightly heavier song in Revolt so, and to Civil Isolation. So that run of three songs, I think, is the best this record's got. Um, yeah, uh, I'm not sure. I don't want to like go into it too much because I do really like this record. And I do think if you were tempted to try listening some, to something heavier, I feel like this is probably a better bet to go into than Vane. Um, and I think... Yeah that accessibility definitely showed on its chart success because it got to number eight on the UK album chart, which for a fan-funded independent record of this style is still hugely impressive and successful. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think, yeah, definitely. If you're looking for something maybe to try out heavy music, this is a good tester to dip your feet in the water. Um, like I said, I'll definitely be bringing more accessible but also challenging records forward um, other than this one. And who knows, I might even bring, bring forward Brainwashed at some point as well. Um, anything else to add, Jack? I don't know. I think I think, it's, I think we've, we sound quite negative on that. I think I do want to add like this is a really good record. If I were to, this is a, I'd say this is probably like a high seven to an eight out of ten. If we're looking at that sort of genre and style, it just happens that it's, it just lacks that little something extra that I had expectations and the standard from while she sleeps. Now it is time we reach the final section of the podcast where Amos and I will be discussing each album, whether we would like to take them into our bunker with us, so therefore keep them for this post-apocalyptic world. And then beyond that, which songs each of us would like to take onto our Songs to be Saved playlist. So we each pick a song from each album. Um, if you go onto Spotify, you'll see there's a whole load of 
songs already on there from our previous three episodes. So go on to Spotify and search songs to be saved and you'll find that playlist. It's a really good place to start if you want to get an idea of what we've been talking yeah. about so far and you want to get an idea of what the songs are that we will be talking about uh, today. So first of all, we have Against Me, Transgender Dysphoria Blues. Amos, are you saving or are you throwing? Uh, 100% saving this one. I think it's, like I said in our intro, I think it's a modern punk classic, not just because of how good it is, but I think for what it stands for and what it talks about, I think that alone um, would consider it to be taken. But when you add that, the quality and the level of songwriting on this, I think it's a no-brainer, really. Um, yeah. um, I mean, I know it's not entirely what you'd go for genre-wise, but I'd kind of intrigue to... I think we were, quite, we were very positive about it, I think. Yeah, I think... Stuff. I would have been maybe a little bit indifferent had I not done the research. So say I just listened to it once or twice and then you just had to say to me, will I save it? I'd be a little bit like, oh, maybe. Um, in this situation, like now having done the research, knowing a lot more about it, definitely I think save. So I think we're agreed on that. Yeah, 100%. Which song, I think you've basically already made it very clear. Yeah, I think I made it very clear. Um, so one of my top 10, potentially top five songs of all time, one of the greatest punk rock anthems of all time, and I'll I'll fight that corner um, forever. And that's "Black Me Out," uh, the closing song. Um, it's fucking sensational. There's not much more I can say about it, really. Okay. Yeah, I did really like that song. I'm going for though, because obviously we can't say the same song. I'm going for "True Trans Soul Rebel" because I like how that almost represents both the angles on the album of the negative and the positive it um it's it is an anthem in its own way slightly differently it's, it's um, definitely an anthem for it's yeah. def i reckon i think i know i know a lot of people um lgbtq people consider that like their anthem in terms of punk rock yeah and so for that reason i think it's a good song to say yeah uh, and I, I just want to add on that song as well it has one of the best like I said, that bridge um, where the you should have been a mother, you should have been a wife bridge is one of the best punk rock bridges into a chorus. There is. Um, that little wedge just cuts out into that. So t two absolute rages, I think, picked for that one. Yeah. So next up, we had Oasis with their um, their little independent release, What's the Story, Morning Glory. I mean, I don't think there needs to be a discussion. Can we just both say we're saving? Yes, get on I mean, it's just what it was. it was a given before we even discussed it, I think it's... Yeah. Um, I think we said last week it's one of the a record you'd have to listen to before you die if you're going to do yeah. that. Like it's not just because of quality, but it's like we said, it's cultural impact. On a book called A Thousand Records, you need to yeah. listen to. I know that, that makes complete <laughs> sense. There you go. Um, so, which song are you saving? Because this is very important to decide which one I'm yeah. saving. So, I think this was quite hard for me, and I had two. Ended up narrowing it down to two. I, I picked a slower one and a slightly faster one. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go for the slow one purely because. It's like I think I said it when we were talking about it. It's the forgotten ba ballad almost, and it's Cast No Shadow. Um, okay, that's which, I, which I really like, and I think everyone's heard Wonderwall and Don't Look Back in Anger, so I wanted to stick something a bit different in this playlist and get, I mean, get some attention on that song. That's, yeah, that's a good pick. For me, there's 12 songs on this album, and 10 of them could be saved. I could I could pick from any of the ten and be oh, happy. 100%. Yeah, it was. It, this this has been the hardest. This was the hardest album so far to pick uh, a song to save. For me, I'm gonna have to go with what is probably one of my favourite songs of all time. I'm just gonna throw it out there. It probably is. Yeah, one of my favourite songs of all time, purely for the 
I guess the cultural role it plays in the UK, the power it has, um, the, I guess, significance of it, and the fact that I've sung it more times than I care to imagine, smashed off my face down the local, is Don't Look Back in Anger. Um, I think it'd be unjust if one of them, one of Don't Look Back in Anger or Wonderwall didn't make it. Yeah, one of the big singles, I agree. Um, It's just kind of, yeah. What what a song? Yeah, you can't, I can't say. I, I think that's quite interesting. Let us know. Um, listen to both "Cast No Shadow" and "Don't Look Back" and tell us which one you prefer. Because personally, yeah, I do prefer yeah, "Cast No Shadow." Yeah. So it's it's quite an interesting one when you listen to the album. Because I I'd never really listened to "Cast No Shadow" properly. Also, just to open that up a bit wider, I'd be curious to know what people would say. Is yeah, let, just let us know your favourite song off it. Actually, yeah, because it's such a like we said, it's just bangers. It's just constant ten yeah. out of ten. So I love "She's Electric." I think She's Electric was the other one that I was considering, more so than one. Mine was, some might say, was the other one I narrowed it down to. But it, like I said, it's just, it's just it, was, it was, this was the hardest to pick. I think this, what I was going to say, changed every time I listened to it. Um, okay. Last album. You Are We, While She Sleeps, which could sound like a whole sentence, actually, when you say it yeah. like that. But anyway, are you saving? Um, I do really like this record, and I do go back to listen to it despite this however it's not the best while she sleeps record and like i said there are parts of it which do leave me wanting um unfortunately i'm going to have to say no however i think you have to admire it's uh, the way it was created by, by found funding its chart success um and the quality of it for the most part um i think it's certainly yeah. worth admiring um, I... purely on the fact it's not as good as their other releases I mean, I think everyone could probably guess what I'm going to say. Um, but I do agree. I think even though I didn't enjoy it particularly, I still respect the fact that as a fan release or fan-funded release, it's a really impressive piece of work from that aspect. The success of it is really impressive. You have to respect a band for having the gall to do that as well. Um, so, yeah, I'm not saving it. But I'm glad that I did listen to it. I think it was good to listen to something maybe that is out of my taste range usually didn't make didn't enjoy it much but i'm not you know i'm not gonna throw you under the bus for that well, <laughs> well, I'm actually, sure, I'm, yeah <laughs> well i'm sure like i said i'll be bringing more heavy albums forward in future yeah. episodes so i'm sure we'll, we'll at one we'll so, some point get jack to truly fall in love with a heavy record it just it's just a matter of when not it yeah we'll see we'll see where we go so We've got to save a song from it, though. What are you saving? Well, I'm, I've, this is one I've got three written down, and it's the three in a row which I said, which is Hurricane, Revolt, and Civil Isolation. What I'm going to go for is the song that when this album, before this album even came out, this first single release, uh, it's my, it was my favourite song on the album when it was released, and it's probably still my favourite song now, and that's Civil Isolation. Okay. Not a bad choice at all. Um, I'm going for Empire of Silence. Purely because... That was the song that I went back and played the start of over again when I was working out because I actually quite enjoyed it for that. So <laughs> it kind of ticked that box pretty well. And I think out of, the, out of them all, that was the song that I did enjoy most. Like I said, there were songs on there I did enjoy. Um, Silent Speaks, that's one I quite enjoyed. That's the big one. It's got um, Ollie Sykes yeah, of Bring yeah. Horizon on it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Empire of Silence, I'm going for. So, Amos, do you want to read out what we have saved and the songs we have saved this week? So, 
they, we are not having another a clean sweep uh, for the fourth episode in a row. Um, but however, it is another two episode, two album saving episode. That's a bit of a tongue twister. Uh, so we are saving against me, transgender dysphoria blues. Obviously, this was a given before we even started. I think Oasis is what's the story, Morning Glory, and unfortunately, we are leaving behind in the dust while she sleeps. You are we. Um, we are, however, adding. As usual, adding a song each to our Songs To Be Saved playlist, which, like I said, you can check out on Spotify. I'm actually going to go back and listen to it after this episode, I think. It's going to have... How many songs do it have on then? It would have... God, that's a mass. 24 songs? Is that right? Yeah. 24 yeah. songs, which I think is quite a, quite, a, quite a few songs to play. So I'll go back. You know, it's been, what, four weeks since we started this, so it'll be quite cool to listen back to it. Um, yeah. And it has a good mix of stuff on there now, but we are adding on to that. Jack is adding True Trans Soul Rebel, and I'm adding Black Me Out from the Against Me record. Two quite different songs from that record, I think, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you've then got Jack added the big hitter that is Don't Look Back in Anger. Um, I added the lesser known, but still amazing, Cast No Shadow. And then finally, from the While She Sleeps record, Jack's adding Empire of Silence, and I am adding Civil Isolation. So nice bit of variation going on to that pl- uh, playlist now. Um, and I, I, yeah, just go follow it on Spotify. It's all on there. Just search it. Yeah. Um, so I guess to finish... Uh, we're at the point now where I feel like we have four, well, yeah, this is the fourth. So four, like, obviously more developed products coming. Um, I feel like we've come a long way, definitely from our first podcast. But we always want to know more. We always want to know what you think. Every, it means so much when every time we get a message from be it one of our friends or someone we don't even know, messaging the account saying, I listened, I think this was good, I think this was good, I didn't like that. I prefer if you talked about this. I wish you talked about that more. We love it because without your guidance and without knowing what you want to hear, we can't deliver a product that is suited to what you would like to hear. You know, we, as much as we enjoy doing this from our perspective and we enjoy um, talking about music, we also want to make sure that we're producing and releasing something that you want to hear and you enjoy hearing because that's part of the, that's a big part of the fun. Yeah, because you listen to it as well. We don't want to make it unenjoyable for you. Um, yeah. Obviously, at the end of the day, this is just two guys talking about music as if we were down the pub, for yeah. the most part, with a bit maybe a bit more structure to it. But yeah, we we really want to find out how we can improve. Um, we are still doing this over Zoom and online, so there might be a couple of bits where the sound goes a bit funny. Um, but we are hoping to, in the very near future, start recording in person with a professional microphone, yeah. um, which should see the quality skyrocket sound-wise. So next week, the theme is albums from our childhood yeah so we're looking at sort of like school year teenage years um something like that um however yes we have have so we this there's no unfortunately there's no listener suggestion this week because we have got a very special guest coming in our first guest hopefully maybe first of many um it's our friend from school but he's probably better known if you do know him from that owen hill who plays guitar in as everything unfolds, almost said Avenged Sevenfold, then I was be fucking impressive we got one of them on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah, so he plays guitar in um, As Everything Unfolds, so we'll do a bit of chat with him about how band life's been in lockdown and probably go talk a bit about the independent side of things because he is an independent band. Um, and then, yeah, we're going to talk about, we've each picked an album from our teenage years, childhood, uh, school years, whatever. And we'll just talk about that like usual. And we'll talk, we will be adding three songs from each album, I would have thought, into the playlist. This, so next week, you're going to get yeah. an extra song into the playlist. So look forward to that. Um, I do want to add, if you do 
do still we are still going to probably ask the suggestions on this because if we get a lot of them we are thinking at some point we may be doing a listeners only uh, podcast and maybe it could be picking up from doing a different theme for each album maybe so maybe doing we you get so essentially still send us in your suggestions for albums from your childhood yeah, um, because, um again keep your eye on the instagram and facebook that's where we'll be announcing yeah, in, instagram is uh, where we get the most engagement with stuff and we'll so i'd say if you do have it just follow us on there um yeah. because it's it's easier for us to to um interact with you guys on there as well yeah and you know at this point i think um if you're still listening and you're enjoying tell your friends if there's anyone in your life who you know likes music and listens to music and maybe or likes podcasts and listens to podcasts let them know spread the word you know we we want to hear more people reaching out to us and we love getting more suggestions and ideas that's you know a huge part of the fun of doing this so. yeah we, we want to with this listener pick thing we do really want to push ourselves a bit and try and get albums that we won't necessarily listen to all the time so like we had that we had that rivers Cuomo record um and obviously we had uh Walsh's exist week which i would probably never have brought forward in truth so it's quite cool having that um and yeah so after episode five we will be going back to listen to suggestions um but the theme for that episode six is yet to be decided but yeah keep telling us how you think let your friends know um and thanks i think yeah thank you very much everyone awesome cheers have a good one